Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be talking about the Hulu series Candy with co-creator and showrunner Robin Veith and Melanie Linsky, who plays Betty in the series. And, and Robin, in starting, um, you know, in talking with you about the approach and the way that you've told this story, you know, you've told it very specifically from the perspective of Candy. That's obviously where a lot of the information that we have available to us about this case comes from as well. And yet you've also found this, this really wonderful space in the middle as well, which allows the audience to interpret things and to make up their own mind. And so I was really interested in how you told it very factually true to Candy's version of events, a lot of the details from the court, but still found that space to allow the audience for interpretation within a lot of the creative choices that you made. Well, I mean, that was the challenge of the show and, and why um, we were all so intrigued by it is that, you know, you have an instance where two women walked into a room, one walked out and she gets to tell the story. Um, and you use the term factual, which is always just like, is it though? <laughs> you know, it's just uh, one woman's account of what happened that day. And so we, we were very sensitive to the fact that um, Betty's story never really held any weight when you um, look at the court proceedings and everything. So it was very important to us to remind the audience that um, there were two human beings involved here. And just because Candy said it happened a certain way, that shouldn't be taken as fact. Um, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means that everything should be scrutinized. And so we did a lot of research on Betty and, um, you know, uh, the, through the court documents and everything, which were very interesting because uh, we didn't unfortunately have time to do it in, in the show. But like a lot of these townspeople got on the stand and just turned on this woman for like ridiculous reasons, you know, like one woman thought she was, had anger issues because she didn't say thank you in a way that she deemed appropriate. You know, it was just ridiculous. And so of the time. And so working with Melanie and the other writers and the directors, we were very sensitive in trying to convey as much as possible, um, you know, a Betty side of the story, which also, you know, can be scrutinized as well. And that was sort of the overall theme. Uh, one of the, the themes that were important to us in this show is commenting on the true crime genre as a whole in that, um, you know, audiences love black and white. They love a firm answer. And we just wanted to remind people that these are real human beings and we're never gonna know. <laughs> And, you know, Melanie, one of the things that I love in, in how you've captured this character is you're playing you're playing a woman with with all sorts of complexities. You know, she probably was struggling with postpartum depression, even though that wasn't something that was kind of talked about or or there, there was the language for it at that time. You know, she really kind of struggles to connect to people around her. And yet it doesn't you know, she's not a passive person. She is trying to be active about, you know, finding the connection in her marriage again, saying the things that she needs, the way that she wants her husband to see her and all those aspects. And so I was interested in how, you know, kind of like speaking of like that middle space again, like you found that space where even with the more insular aspects and the shyness, you still made sure that she was a very active participant in her life. I mean, I think honestly, that's all in the writing. It was just such a fully realized character on the page. When, when I read it initially, I just was like, what a fascinating person. And then the more I looked into her life and her background, like everything that 
Robin had put in there was just so true to who she was. She was a very complex person. There are a lot of different sides to her. You know, she's from a small town in Kansas and she was extremely popular growing up in this little community. She had lots of boyfriends. She could have had her pick of anybody. And I think it's, you know, it's a combination of having postpartum depression and your life not really working out the way you hoped it would and choosing a partner who's not really affirming you in the ways you need to be affirmed, moving to a different place where you're not like these other women. There were so many things just sort of being stacked against her. And I think where we meet her in the, the beginning of the show is like probably the hardest time of her life. And I really felt for her. And, you know, I'm always interested in this idea of like, who do we choose to be like the victims we want to listen to and believe is something that's coming up right now. Um, and I, I love that about the story. The fact that a lot of people were like, well, I just didn't really like her. She wasn't polite. She was awkward. And it just, it's like heartbreaking to me that she didn't really get true justice just because it became like a popularity contest. It's really, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was that element of a popularity contest as well. And then, you know, Robin, there's also the interesting aspect with the, the lawyers as well. And there's kind of showmanship in Candy's lawyer that wasn't really part of the legal system at the time. It was more about a presentation of facts and, and not so much about the way that you tell a story dramatically in a court. And I thought that was such an interesting dichotomy to see play out in the series. Um, what do you feel that that really lent to the telling of the story? And, and how did you want to make sure that you were leaning into that aspect and, and giving us that side as well to consider how much of an influence that had on the outcome and the verdict? Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, like probably 80% of where the verdict came from is that uh, the DA was in a way a dinosaur, you know, and that like he believed the letter of the law is the letter of the law and, you know, probably suffers from, you know, what I do sometimes. And then I just assume that everything that I know to be true and like everybody else knows to be true and like, and like I'm constantly reminded that is not the case, <laughs> but um you know, then you have Don Crowder come on the scene. And when you have someone like Raul Esparza to play him, you have everything that you need because Don Crowder in real life at this point, when we're talking about, you know, like the sort of uh, shortcomings of the mental health field at the time, Don Crowder was undiagnosed bipolar. And in a way that sort of became his superpower in the trial in that he was able to like flip on a dime, you know, and he was a showman because he was a personal injury attorney, you know, and um, grew up playing football, really, truly felt like he was going to be, be in the NFL. And so you bring in a powerhouse like Raul to just dance circles around this DA. And a lot of people are just like, yeah, I can understand where that verdict came from because Don just put on a better show and the audience was engaged. And, you know, this is before the time of the, lawyers that we see on TV now all the time who are just like performing these amazing monologues and telling these incredible stories like that just didn't happen back then Don was kind of a pioneer and O'Connell the DA was a bit of a dinosaur like he just didn't see what was coming 
Yeah, and, and Melanie, going back to one of the details that you were talking about before, you know, obviously with Betty as well, with her not coming from the same town, you know, that meant that you were doing a different dialect to everybody else around you, which was another way that we kind of feel that distance. Um, but it was interesting because I've, I've heard you mention that in, in terms of the dialect, it, it felt quite strange to be doing a completely different dialect to everybody else around you. And were there other choices that you found yourself needing to make in service of the character that maybe if it was purely open to interpretation and not based on a real person that you would have made different? differently potentially yeah it was it was I was always concerned that there would be something at some point where someone's like how long have you been here from Kansas or whatever because I was like I don't want people just being like oh she can't do a Texas accent you know that's my own like actor ego coming into it um but it is definitely interesting that she felt like an outsider sounded like an outsider um there is one choice that you made with uh, Bob Blackman, our costume designer, that I just was so intrigued by. And that, like, I went to a fitting one time and Melanie was like, you know, shooing them off of the fitting because she didn't want her clothes to fit very well because she made her own clothes and she's not very good at it. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Which I just thought was so charming. Yeah. I make choices like this in costume fittings and then I see the show and I'm like, why? <laughs> I have no like, vanity. Like, oh my God. I have no vanity in like the fittings and wig fittings and I'm like, it's perfect. And then I see it and I'm like, just a little, I need to get a little bit of vanity. In. <laughs> it's rough. Um, but yeah, that is true. Like I do think it's kind of charming that she made her own clothes and I wanted it to look like she made her own clothes. Yeah. It's like, it's so sweet to me. I have a lot of <laughs> love for Betty. Yeah. And, and Robin, obviously there's a lot of instances where in telling this story, there's so much more information that you can even fit in the number of episodes that you had to explore this. And so there's a lot of back and forth in terms of choices. And, you know, you've mentioned that the, the court case actually with the story that you were telling earlier about the woman being like, I gave her a gift and I didn't like the way she said, thank you. You know, that you would have loved to have been able to explore more of those sort of testimonies from the community. What were some other instances in the series where there were things that you really would have loved to bring to the foreground and include in terms of details, but in the end kind of just like didn't serve the narrative and the amount of space that you had to tell it. Um, I would have I would have loved to tell tell more of the the personal histories of these two women to get into more specificity of Betty's upbringing in Kansas and Candy's upbringing as an army brat all, all over the place. But um, it's a choice you have to make in storytelling of how much do you really need to know to get your point across, and then you know what is indulgent you know for and and the key the thing that's kind of um that sort of like fueled my fire to keep going and that in that this is a a true true life story um it, it just asked the audience like if you want to learn more you can you know there's google there's everything and those are the the stories that i engage with the most as if like i'm i'm watching a film or a tv show or something and i immediately want to do more and it activates me in my life outside of the screen mm -hmm. You know, and and with Betty as well, Melanie, you know, there's so many there's so many aspects beneath the surface in terms of the performance that you're bringing, because there's a lot of times where she's not able to say things out loud. She also doesn't have anyone to share a lot of things 
about, you know, what she's thinking about various situations, various struggles that she's going through, even with her husband. And mm-hmm. so it's really kind of like in your performance to bring those internalized aspects. Did you find that it was a, it was, it was a very internalized character and performance that you were ending up needing to bring forth in order to capture a lot of that? Yeah, because I felt like, you know, there's that lovely scene where um, they get into marriage encounter and instantly Betty turns to Ellen and just asks like the craziest question. <laughs> She's just like, what are you doing for yourself sexually? Like as soon as she is in a space where she can ask difficult questions, she does. Like she wants information. She wants help. She wants connection and he's just not interested in that and so there were a lot of moments where I think um it's it's something I really love also within the storytelling where there's so many moments where you feel her struggling and wanting to push back and wanting to ask for more and just the time the place her role in the family just not being able to and it it really like it's heartbreaking to me to just see how little she was taking and how grateful she was for all those little moments. Like when he agrees to have sex with her and she's like, terrific. You know, she's, she's so happy. And it's just, yeah, I, I guess it did become kind of like an internalized because there's so much that, that she's struggling with and she's just not saying. Yeah. You know, and and for both of you as well, you know, in in bringing forward Betty's voice and, remi- you know, what you were saying earlier, Robin, about reminding people that there were two women in this story and making sure that you service both of those voices. You know, it's also something where you've built up Betty and you've given us so many details and so much connection to her as a character throughout the series that the audience really feels that loss towards the end as well. And that felt like a really important thing. Um, you know, when the two of you were having a lot of conversations about this character, what were the things that you felt were really important to bring to the foreground and to make sure that the audience could connect on and really see in her so that they would feel that element of loss towards the end? Well, particularly starting in episode two, um, we had talked about how, uh, you know, with every character in this show, I don't believe that there are angels and demons. I believe that everyone is both at all times. And so when going back in episodes two and three to show more of Betty's home life and everything, you know, it, it, Melanie is a champion, you know, for playing a woman who's like strict with children, but it was important to me to be like, she's not wrong. You know, like she's not, she's just taking a different tact than some of these other women are saying like candy's just all fun and let them run wild and everything. Betty's actually trying to set them up for success in the future you know, to make them be responsible, considerate adults, which is, you know, if she had just had some of those people in, in Betty's own life, maybe we'd have a different story here. Um, so we had discussed that. And, and from the very beginning, um, Melanie and I had discussed, you know, just being fair to this woman and keeping her a real human being and not trying to like make her just you know this flat out victim like to give her winning moments and everything and and you know I I was so so grateful that by the time we got to the end when we were shooting it was so important to me to to make sure that we landed this that you know I asked Melanie at one point I was like I need you to say this line in three different locations so then make sure it works (laughs) and and Melanie was just like yes of course of course (laughs) 
Yeah, it's so nice to trust someone as much as I trust Robin. <laughs> like, <laughs> and we all felt that. We all just, you know, if ever there was a question, we would be like, how quickly can we get Robin? Can we ask Robin? Like, <laughs> it's just, I just trust you like 100%, um, which is great. But yeah, I mean, I we were very much on the same page about it. Like we we wanted her to be who she was. It's not an interesting story to tell about this like sweet poor woman who was victimized. And a huge part of Candy's defense was people just being like, mm, I didn't really like her. So you had to show the aspects that people were not connecting with, that people didn't like. And that to me was what made her so compelling she's just a fully realized human being and I I love that the show showed all of that and I also love how all those different aspects came out like over the first three episodes you come to learn so much about her and yeah in episode four when she's gone it's it's a it is it does feel like a big like loss you know and I know her family, like we had these actors come in to play her her parents and the actress, the little actress Antonella who's playing her daughter, like you see the impact that it has on the family members too. And it's so tragic to me. It's such a tragic story. I mean, that was one of the hardest decisions to make is, um, you know, having, you know, Melanie Linsky to work with and then deliberately making the choice to not use her in one episode. But um but it, it, I think it, it was specifically to, I wanted the audience to feel the absence, to feel the loss of it as well. Um, there was a version where she, where Melanie was going to be in episode four, but we decided to cut it. So I was just like, let's, let's feel her, let's feel her absence. I mean, I also love the way, Robin, that you've, you've constructed this story and told it in a way that, that captures kind of all of like the narrative and, and, and plot beats of what this story was, but also allows for us to just get a window into what was the day-to-day, -day, what were the quiet moments? What did it look like when they were just like taking their kids to the pool, going through any sort of day in motion? Um, you know, did you, you know, and it feels like the first episode really, really captures that for us before we go into the narrative arc fully. Um, you know, was that kind of an important aspect, particularly for the first episode that you really want the audience to have a lot of those moments? Absolutely. I mean, from the very beginning, Nick Antosca, my co-creator, and I talked about how um, in order to really feel the impact of this story, we have to know the town and we have to know these people and what their lives look like. And so the idea being the best way to convey that is to spend a day in the life with these people. We just happened to choose the one day that changed everything you know, um, but it, it, it was, it was very familiar to me because I, I grew up in a town just like this, like these people feel very much like my parents, my neighbors and everything. And in fact, like, it was very funny. I, I think I, we have a text chain with, with the actors and everything because we just all love each other so much. And when the show came out, I, I texted everybody like my junior prom date loved it. <laughs> <laughs> And he texted me, he's like, he's like, we had those big spoons on, on the wall of our kitchen. I'm like, I know. <laughs> yeah. um, so it, 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 it was just fun, like walking through uh, Jamie Walker McCall, our production designer sets, because I could be like, we had that, we had that, we had that. And, um, you know, it was, we just had a tremendous team of, of designers who could create this world. And it was very accurate. And you know, led to me choosing to put wall-to-wall -wall carpeting in my own office because I missed it so much. 
Amazing. You know, and, and Melanie, you know, Robin was mentioning obviously a lot of the things that were said about Betty in the court case. How how did that kind of inform aspects of Betty that you were building? Because they're obviously all responding to like external interactions that they had with her, but also a lot of what other people are saying about her in that regard, again, kind of like speaks to a lot of what was going on internally. It's like, why was she responding in this way? Why was she having trouble connecting to this person? Why wasn't mm-hmm. she close to them? You know, and, and so did you find that it was, it was kind of like taking the external situations and the details that you had and looking for like the underneath the surface aspect of that, or how did you approach that? Yeah, it's, um, uh, there's also a lot of like great things in various episodes where you just see it not landing. Like she comes up to a group of women after church and says, I'd like to start a children's choir. And it's just a matter of like not not being able to connect really, not being warm, not really like listening to people, not having that kind of ease that those other women had. And it, it's just, it feels very vulnerable And it reminds me of like, when I was a kid, I was so painfully shy. I had zero friends. I couldn't, I'm still very shy. I still have like a lot of like social anxiety, but I just know that feeling of walking up to a group of people and just being like, will words come out? Like, is this going to work? So there, there was a lot of that. Also, Jess and I had a long Zoom with, Jim Atkinson, who was one of the co-writers of the book, Evidence of Love. And he had interviewed every person you could possibly want to. So he was very gracious with me in telling me what people's impression was of Betty, like how they described her, how she came across to them. And he just kept saying awkward. But everyone said she was awkward and kind of blunt which is interesting. You know, she was a woman at that time who felt like it was okay for her to voice an opinion on things if she didn't like it. That's part of it. You know, it's like a society where women are supposed to be kind of feminine and sweet and not complaining and she's complaining. And I, I also love that aspect of it. Yeah. It's interesting. It's actually like a very forward aspect of her personality when you look at it in retrospect. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and Robin, you know, one of the other aspects that, that I know you went back and forth on a little bit as to whether to show in the series was whether you wanted to show the, the scene in the moment of violence. And it sounds like your initial gut instinct was to not include it in the show, but then it was, you know, not only do we need to show it, but here's how we're going to do it in, you know, the way that you've done it between like intercutting between that, the telling in the court, and then having that moment where Betty shows up kind of just gives us so many different avenues to explore emotionally and narratively. How did you, after initially thinking that you weren't going to include that in the story, come up with the idea of, of that that was how you wanted to tell it and to have this interaction between Melanie and Jessica that, that's very much from Candy's perspective and the way that it's acted out as well. I mean, that was the greatest challenge of this series was figuring out uh, how and whether to do any of that. And, you know, it, it's something that I wrestled with through the writer's room and even, you know, through production leading up to the finale, because we were very sensitive to, or I was very sensitive. I'll, I'll, I'll own the, uh, the, the fluctuations, um, you know, as seeing cuts come in and seeing Jessica Beale and Melanie Linsky playing these women and what they bring to them. And, and, you know, now that there's live characters in front of you, 
my, my fear was showing any moment of this fight would say that this is what happened. And we were very sensitive to the fact that like the whole point is we're saying that this is one woman's version of what happened. So a lot of things came together in that, um, you know, having the idea of bringing Betty back to stand there and, and impeach Candy as she's telling this story and to intercut the actual fight with seeing Candy have to sell this to the jury and Jessica just did it, you know, straight down the barrel of the, the camera as if she's selling it to the television audience. So all those elements came together. And then with the larger idea of really examining the true crime genre, it's we promised something in the beginning that something dreadful happened in that room and then held off until the end. And another good reason for showing it, in my opinion, was A, here's what you wanted. How do you feel about it? Like seeing this event, like this, here's your bloodlust answered. Are you happy with that? How do you feel about that? What does that say about you? Um, and also, I just wanted to see this explosion of female rage, just rage, out of control rage, because I think it's something that we largely as a society back away from and pretend doesn't exist. And it does. <laughs> um, and I think that, you know, like through, you know, Me Too and lockdown and everything, there's, there's something about an cataclysmic explosion of emotions that I think everyone can, can identify with. Uh, now, I, I don't think, I would hope most of us wouldn't pick up an ax, but I can definitely identify with the feeling of being trapped and having to fight like an animal to get out. You know, and, and Melanie, that it's such an interesting scene in terms of watching your performance alongside Jessica's in that moment, because, you know, you're essentially selling Candy's version of events, but it still feels like there's like kind of like little tells of like, but are we, you know, this isn't my version of events. Like even just the way that you go and pick up the ax and come back, there's almost a like feeling from Betty, like this isn't how it happened. This, I wouldn't have done this. This is weird and slightly awkward because it, you know, kind of like naturally doesn't make sense to be watching it that way as well, you know, because it's so out of context in the moment in the way that Candy's retelling it. Um, and so how did you approach going into that scene and really figuring out what the tonality of that needed to be with all of those different inflections? I think I just made a decision to, to tell my body, okay, you are acting out Candy's version of the story. You're a performer in this story for the next couple of days. And I think there was a remove to the performance because I felt so protective of Betty and I, I don't believe that's what happened. And so the thing, you know, the moments which seemed particularly outlandish to me, I kind of wanted it to be like, oh, okay, she's saying that I came back into the room and I had leaned the axe against the wall and I stood there, you know. But also if somebody is doing that, something is happening emotionally, something is happening in their head. It's a very odd, they're going to be in a strange state of mind. So I hoped that that kind of 
weird remove would work on both levels. Like either something is like really up with Betty and she's doing some crazy things or she's just like, all right, let me walk through and show you what she said I did that day. Um, it was definitely a weird place to be. You know, there were moments when we were shooting, like a lot of moments in the day-to-day -day scenes where before we started to roll, I would kind of check in and ask if Betty was there, which sounds crazy, but there was like a little voice that I could hear. In the two days we were shooting that sequence, she was not there. Like I was doing my little thing where I was like, are you there? Are you there? And sometimes she would be like, you know, in scenes with Alan or scenes with the kids, the voice would be quite loud. Like, remember this, remember that, remember it. And I'd be like, okay, oh my God, oh my God, thanks. And then there was just silent on those two days. Like there was just no sort of like, and I don't know what that means. Like, obviously that little voice in my head is me creating whatever I need to feel like the character is present or whatever. I'm not saying it's like a ghost visiting me, but um, it, it was, it was interesting to me that I didn't have anything like that. It didn't feel like Betty's story at all to me, which was the point of it. And the thing that I think made it so compelling. Yeah, no, it really does. And, and the, the choreography of that scene is also incredibly you know, intrinsic to it as well, because it's not just about, it's not a scene that's about creating a dramatic tussle between these two women. Like you said, there's mm. so many layers. There's, you know, how present Betty is in the telling of someone else's story and also kind of taking the actuality of like all of the evidence, all of the court documents, all of the details that were said in court about how it happened, you know, how many times she was struck and, and trying to like really meticulously get all of those details in. And so, how did the two of you work alongside Jessica to, to choreograph it in a way that, you know, told us more about both of these characters, but also kind of remained very detail oriented from the information that you had to hand? I thought, well, Robin was amazing. And she saw one, you know, we had this uh, wonderful stunt coordinator, Gail Cohen, who worked with Jess and I for a long time. And then when Robin saw it through, she was able to like immediately pinpoint a couple of moments of action that were not in Candy's testimony. Like there was a thing where I sort of lunged and started to kind of strangle her. And Robin was just like, this is, if we're telling Candy's story, there's not going to be any embellishments or added detail. It's just what, exactly what she said happened. And that was something I really appreciated. Yeah, I mean, it was those of the events of, of that day you know from candy walking into the door and then candy walking out of that door were meticulously crafted from candy's own testimony and so it was very important to us not to give her <clears throat> any excuses she didn't make for herself you know um not to portray betty as aggressive if she didn't say that herself like we it was important which made, I think was part of the reason that made those days so awkward is that if you're literally doing what she said happened, then God bless Michael Uppendahl, Melanie Linsky and Jessica Beale for figuring out the blocking of just even like getting the towel from the washer and coming back. Like, it's just so bizarre, like almost David Lynchian, like why would anyone do it this way? But like they did it you know, in, in a way that 
was almost natural, you know, like natural enough to like, okay. You know, <laughs> I mean, one of my favorite moments in the whole series is Betty just like looking around and then leaning the, the ax up against the wall as if like, okay, I did this now. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, but it was, it was important to us that, that if we're going to tell her story, then we're going to tell her story and um, not be additive to it. Cause again, we wanted the audience to sort of sit in the jury box as well. And we wanted to give them everything that the jury had, you know, during that trial so that everyone can, and that was our goal is like at the end of every episode and at the end of the series, you can sit there and debate on the couch, you know, what you saw and what you think happened because I mean, we still haven't stopped talking about it. Yeah, no, it's it, it's really fascinating in terms of like watching the story, learning more about it. And like you said, just like, you know, the continued discussion that happens after watching these episodes as well. Um, you know, so really appreciate both of you talking about a lot of the details and a lot of the, the choices that went into it. You've done a really wonderful job with the series. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been lovely. Yeah.